Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Randomer Nintendo. It's been about a month. I think last time we had a literal rain check. Um, I'm trying to remember what else happened that weekend. Well, I guess nothing much to do with raining, but welcome back. Rain. We're all back. Us being, well, myself, Angel, and then we have Jason Hello, somewhere in I'm, I'm, the world. I'm on cloud nine of Nintendo fandom. This is my month. This is great. I'm up, I'm up high up there. Yeah. And that's with, like, them also burning them, but that just shows how much he loves Nintendo. Yeah, we'll get and then to we that. Also have, yeah. yeah, and then we also have Kevin, hey, also somewhere in the world. Not on Cloud9 of Nintendo stuff. I am still congested. Apologies. Okay. I'm getting surgery for it, though. So soon. Oh, damn. I will record in the longer sound stuffy. We look forward to that damn. day. I'm sure your, your, your nasal cavities also look forward to that day. Yep. Yeah, it's gotten to the point where my doctor was like, yep, you just straight up need surgery for your nose. Like, let's do it. She asked me if I wanted anything cosmetic, and I was thinking about getting the Brad Pitt, but ultimately... <laughs> Is there like a catalog it. book where it's like, I like that celebrity nose? Yeah, so <laughs> Brad Pitt, I was like, you know what? Brad Pitt's a handsome man. And to have his nose... Hard to argue with that. I wouldn't say no to his nose. Who would? Not a lot of people. I'm sure some people. Exactly. But exactly. No. Oh. Kind of a odd question, but I mean ignoring the potential to just randomly upgrade in general, I mean you're you're happy with your noses, right? I guess it's not really something you're like, yeah, I'm happy with or just like eh, take whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with my I've accepted that as a Jewish person my nose comes with certain ratio to the rest of my face, but I'm fine with that. I'm happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, already then. But <laughs> all right, so oh man, I, I wish I yeah, had a nice transition. Yeah, good luck getting out of that but, hole. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, I don't knows a good transition, so I'm just gonna force that one in there. So yeah, we got. I, I, if anything, I feel we should just start with um, what I know is the thing that Jason's probably wanted to talk about. Dude, the I'm most, so excited. Yeah, which is the fact that we got to visit Super Nintendo World this time, actually being Jason's first time at the park, and <laughs> I guess also my first time, but second time seeing Super Nintendo World, which was also a very interesting experience. But I feel I might as well let Jason take Dude, the wheel here. So here you go. Between uh, that, the, like, and go get shotgun real quick. I'm honestly like not just Nintendo World in general. Shotgun? Wait, what did you say about shotgun? Yeah, it took me a second to realize. Did you hear me like? No, I said, I'm giving you the wheel, so I'm gonna go ride shotgun. Oh, I'm gonna go get a shotgun. I, like, that's what oh. I heard. I heard I'm gonna yeah, go get a I was shotgun. Like, wow, he really doesn't want me to gush about Nintendo. He's like, we gotta shut the. Now he works at PlayStation. He's like, we gotta shut up the Nintendo fan. Um, no, I I am like living my best Nintendo life right now. Like, I mean, there's obviously Nintendo World, which we have to do a sec, but like the Mario movie ramp up. The fact that we still have major stuff like Zelda on the horizon. I was finally able to get my collector's edition for that the other day after trying for weeks. Like the nostalgia overload of recent releases on Switch. Like I don't recall a time in my life where Nintendo's hit every angle of me as much as they are right now. Like my life is all consumed by Nintendo at the moment. And it it like this 60-day window we're in the middle of is just like it. I haven't even mentioned the Tetris movie, which comes out like four days, five days on Apple TV before the Mario movie comes out. So like in the same week, we have an anime Nintendo movie and a based on a true story retelling of Nintendo history live action movie. Like how is this all happening at one? How am I functioning day to day? I don't know. But yes, Nintendo World. Let's let's start there. So um, this is what, Angel, like 
seven years in the making, eight years, something like that, since they first announced it's it? It's been a while. I definitely still, I don't remember when exactly it was, but I definitely remember just like, you know, seeing the press release or something that we was just like a throwaway comment. Like it, we were. Yeah, we were together when it dropped. It was on Sunday, uh, Saturday or Sunday night randomly. Yeah, and it was just like, like, oh, I guess they're making a park. Like, who knows when we're ever going to see this? Yeah, we're like, and well, then you know, then a couple years later, we get the concept art, and it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And I think that's about the time when I stopped looking into the park to make sure that it was as much of a surprise to myself as possible, which was very much worth it. Yeah, you probably did a bit of media blackout than I did. Although there were parts I definitely didn't expect, but yeah, at long last, you and I, your brother Elvis, my fiance Rachel, we all went to Super Nintendo World. Here in LA at Universal Studios Hollywood on what else? March 10th, Mario Day. Uh, although for those who are asking what about Kevin, Kevin, we did invite you too, but I guess the tying didn't work out. So Kevin, you name a date. You name a – well, we know the place, but you, you know name a really date funny? and we'll be back. I, yeah. I saw um, uh, Elvis put it up on his Instagram story. I was like, oh, that's cool. They're, they they went. I like I work from home, so I absolutely could have gone. Dude, you should have come. But yeah, well, that's just a good excuse for us to go back because we, we, we hit most of the park, but it was raining, so we didn't get to do every little facet. So I am down to go back whenever you want to go. You yeah, name sure. the day. Yeah, but yeah, it's just, um, I, I forgot why I didn't commit to it. I think it was probably because of work, but then probably, yeah. yeah, it just happened that, that oh, I well. ended up just working from home that day. You did get to dodge the rain at least. Um, and it, it may have been the only day in like a eight day window around when we went that even was raining. But um it well, fortunately didn't there's been a lot of rain lately, yeah. But unfortunately it didn't like put damper on the experience too much or the excitement or anything. At least not for me. I mean Angel, I assume you had a good time too when we went. Yeah. Rain aside. No I'm just kidding. No, it was, <laughs> no, it was it awesome. sucked, the, but... <laughs> no, I think the the rain honestly didn't really have any kind of detriment. Like if anything it was more like, oh God, I hope it doesn't get worse. And mm-hmm. then at one point it did. But even then, like, you know, like I I was pretty much prepared for it. I didn't have an umbrella, but I wore like, you know, clothing that if I were to get drenched, it wouldn't matter. It would dry up right away. I had like yeah. a windbreaker. And we, kind of thing. we came prepared. We were the parents for you and Elvis. Like Rachel and I oh, yeah, rolled and in with like two umbrellas, two ponchos, a whole little baggie. We had granola yeah, bars so on top of that. I mean, hungry. Like we were, <laughs> we were the parents. I mean, that being said, we did get those things on the later half of the time. But I think that's when I think it occurred to us or maybe... Maybe someone made a comment. They're like, "Oh yeah, it's like, we're, we're not good. We're not actual parents, so we don't know the timing." <laughs> so yeah, we let it rain on you for three hours, and they're like, "Oh, do you need an umbrella?" <laughs> so yeah, because Elvis was wearing like a, a hoodie with like no, a regular yeah. wool hoodie, like not even like he was almost gonna bring like a a poncho esque material, like a plastic thing. That, in, but I don't think it had a hood. In my very but weak anyway. defense, it didn't start really raining until after lunch. So in the morning, it was just like a drizzle, and he didn't seem to soggy yeah. so but yeah i do i do think there's a lot to say about super nintendo world and we probably are gonna go pretty in depth so before we really launch into it anyone listening out there who wants to pull an angel and keep the park a surprise for whenever they may visit you might want to jump ahead to the next topic on our podcast i haven't said this in years but if you go to the timestamps for this episode's blog post at random.com and by years i mean months um you can find the next topic and where that is and skip ahead to that so you don't have to hear any spoilers but for those who want to come along for the ride because it's a theme park, haha. Uh, I think the easiest way to cover this might be to break it down into like the pros and cons of our experience and of the park. Um, which, to be clear, for me at least, are vastly skewed in the direction of the pros. There's not very many cons, but at least gives some structure as we kind of talk it through. Because there's a lot going on at this tiny park. So, um, 
So that's cool with you. Yeah, I to think. be fair, yeah, I don't ahead. think I would really have any cons. Like any cons that usually come out of me. Well, no, I take that back. They're like, I mean, they're like and it's diet same, cons. They're and, like and, and it's the same con that I had even in the Japan one because it's like a core aspect of the Mario Kart, right? But point is, like any cons that I do have are more like it's just a little bit better in in the Japan one, but. I'll explain why that almost doesn't even matter. Right. Yeah. And, and then cons I use loosely. It's just there are some downsides to the current Hollywood Park and its yeah. size, really. But, okay, so I think for me, the number one pro and most immediately obvious the second you enter the park is just the outstanding attention to detail. Like, there is fantastic attention to detail. Like, literally, the moment you walk through the warp pipe, you're inside Peach's Castle. Some of the most iconic, like, paintings from Mario 64 are on the wall. You leave that room, and you're now in this, like, multi-story space full of animatronic moving enemies and items and classic Mario music blasting and mushrooms of all sizes. It just feels like the Mushroom Kingdom really came to life. And that in, in and of itself is pretty cool, um, if not something I suspect the vast majority of people who visit the park already kind of know to expect through the marketing and everything. But I think where we, or at least I, I feel like you were there with me, but I feel like where we really geeked, I really geeked out is when you get to that next level deep, like the next layer as you explore the park or way in the queue for Mario Kart ride, like the attention to detail beyond just like, oh, hey, it's like a real Mario world is what really, really like shined for me. This this is Nintendo not just doing the obvious tie-ins, but like, almost like rewarding us diehard fans, like in the most minuscule of ways at times too. Like one tiny thing that's a favorite of mine is um, if you venture up a staircase in the back corner of the park, there's some 3D, uh, Mario 3D World style like binoculars you can look through and they overlay AR characters on top of the live feed of the park below you. And one of the overlays is a shy guy, but not just a shy guy, it's a shy guy coming out of the red and yellow door from Super Mario 2, like that door that, his introduction game had and that door has not been seen in any game since super mario 2. i mean i guess technically mario advance if you want to get technical but like for them to be like oh we gotta render that say they one were also door mario maker were they don't ruin this for the... you but you're probably right <laughs> you are one of the mario right, makers but... have it for sure but either but way it's such like it. an obscure little like for them to be like no 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 we gotta like get a render of the door into the ar thing in this one little corner of the park which is like I'm just like, wow, that attention to detail is so cool. But the prime example, really, of the attention to detail for me was when we were waiting in line for Mario Kart Bowser's Challenge, like the, for the ride. Um, legitimately, I feel like one of the biggest collective nerd-out moments is when we were in a room that's supposed to be Bowser's study inside his castle, and every book spine had a reference of some sort to something Mario, ranging from you know simple ones like... I had to look at my photos of them to remember these. But there's one that was like mirror mode, the other side of racing. It's like, oh, because Mario Kart has a mirror mode. To, you know, specific calls to Moo Moo Meadows, to Dry Bowser, even to Super Mario Land's like... Yeah, Sarah the Dry Bowser one. Dem, Dem Bones, a Dry Bowser story. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then or they have like a... reason how to exploit them or obviously mm -hmm. my personal favorite, Bowser on Bowser, an autobiography. They were just so good. And then like they had like this mobile in the middle of the room that had like the, the starter planet from Mario Galaxy on it among with other little Mario flying things. Like it's just like all these little things. And then you go a room over and that's the the production room where like bob Omps and Mecha Coopers are built. And it's all presented using like souped up version of the 3DS's technology. So there's these like glasses-free lenecular 3D screens that you walk past, you can like see the depth as they're building the you know, the the various mechanical enemies. Or even before all that, you go through, like, this Yoshi's Island series of holding rooms for the line. 
And they pay attention to like the littlest of things. Like the staff only doors in those rooms are the red X blocked off doors in Yoshi's Island that you can't enter yet. Like it's just like little things like that. It's just like, wow, someone really like dug through the source material. And I was just super impressed. And Angel, you're actually saying that um, those Yoshi parts that you wait in line for in Bowser's Challenge in Mario Kart, those aren't in the Japanese market, right? Those are actually the weighing areas for Yoshi's Adventure over there. Did yeah, because in, yeah, cause in Japan, you have the Yoshi's Adventure ride that we don't have here in Hollywood. So instead of basically throwing away all the designs for the queue of the Yoshi's Island ride, they just added it to Bowser's queue, which I thought was a really great way of, you know, like still having that Yoshi's Island theme, but, you know, it's like the best they can do without the ride, which honestly, mm-hmm. it, it's a pretty good trade-off. And you also get a... A cave section that I don't, that I'm like pretty sure wasn't in Japan because I don't remember seeing that. Like seeing the giant mushrooms, the stars, the crystals growing from the walls. Surprisingly, they didn't pick the cat, the most iconic music from any underground theme, even the, from Yoshi's Island. But yeah, that's weird. That's still really cool. <laughs> that's I speak, but Yoshi's Island in general, like I feel like we're at some, we're having some sort of like Yoshi's Island Renaissance or something right now because besides the park. I don't know if you guys have checked it out yet, but the new Mario Kart DLC that came out like a week ago, the fourth wave of the um, uh, Booster Course Pass, these standout tracks, like there's a lot of good tracks in there, Um, you know, older tracks, tour tracks, Waluigi Stadium's in there, that's cool, but like the standout track, Yoshi's Island, and it like, it has the music cues from the game, it takes you through most of the different environments of the game, the coins are changed to Yoshi coins, there's floating question mark balloons, if you shoot them, an alternate path appears, like, it's really well done, both in design of a track, and as, like, an homage to Yoshi's Island, and I don't know if it's just synergy with the park, or maybe some Mario movie moment, or if Yoshi's Island as a series is about to just make a big comeback, but it's really cool to see all this Yoshi stuff happening all at once like this. Like, it's been so long since they've really paid any attention to Yoshi as, like, an independent character with Yoshi's Island. So, I don't know what's causing it, but it was nice to see and to get to walk through at the park. Um, but, yeah, back to Nintendo World. I think um, the attention to detail that we were just talking about also spills over into a lot of the gamification that Nintendo and Universal did throughout the park, which was pro number two for me on my list. Um, so, if you buy the $40 power band... Uh, which I highly encourage you to do. But don't do what the guy we saw did. We walk, A guy walked past us, and he was wearing six power bands, one of each. There are six you could choose from. He bought all six. He put them all on. He looked ridiculous. It's like that person that just carries a bunch of um, switches for three pass. So, yeah, you know. Oh, you mean 3DS? Yeah, yeah. 3DS. But even Speaking that, of, like the guy that played Pokemon Go with seven, question, seven phones. Yeah. Um, when does the eShop close? Isn't that this March month? March 27th. Did it close already? March 27th. Oh, okay. Two weeks from the day we record. Less than two weeks by the time this gets posted. And we'll still be able to re-download stuff we had I believe purchased. so, but anything new, you gotta act fast. There's actually a couple okay. great, if you, if there's stuff you're not sure, like, oh, is there anything I'm missing? Um, Kit and Krista, who used to work at Nintendo, but now do their own, like, their own content creation. Uh, the Nintendo Minute people, they put out, like, just in the last couple of days, like, a top five Wii U and a top 10 3DS. Actually, I was just watching them today. They're pretty good. Like, they're pretty good recommendations. So if you need a few things to choose, that's a good place to look. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to make sure I grab right before. Nothing too crazy, but okay. Good to know. Yeah. Main, I mean, the main thing with that, I could read download stuff since. Yeah, I, I think I, so. I think. I want to say you can, yeah. But anyways, um, the power ban. So, yeah, if you buy the $40 power ban, which you should definitely do. 
Uh, this opens up the whole gamification side of things because you have the ability to tap and interact with various aspects of the park. Um, the bigger goal is you can complete different challenges around the park to unlock keys, and those keys let you enter Bowser's castle. Uh, sorry, Bowser Junior's castle for a showdown against him, which is very much you know kind of like the boss fight for this little world you're in. Um, and even in the castle, without spoiling anything, because honestly, the fact that you and I, Angel, went in knowing nothing made it that much cooler. Uh, but the attention to detail, even just what those details are, it's super awesome. We were geeky. I think that's the other place we geeked out probably the hardest was in Bowser Jr.'s castle. Yeah. Uh, it was so cool. It's Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the music was great. Just, you know, the items they have there, the game itself. But, yeah, I'm, that one I intentionally left blank for our visit specifically so which i appreciate that. that we gotta have that moment but yeah it's not to be clear to anyone listening don't oversell it to yourself it's not a full ride but definitely don't skip this part of the park it was a very yeah, it's not surprise. a full ride but i don't know yeah. honestly and i think that, and i think <laughs> and i think this is almost a sentiment but um i think that was it's my i think that was probably the coolest surprising thing about it just like yeah kind of how that gamification comes together because you know it's like there is a goal to the end and i feel like the goal was worth it it's really well done maybe yeah and no one's yeah, talking it's about different. it that's the thing like i had no idea that even existed. maybe it's a good thing because it was like yeah. there was surprisingly like some of the lengths for the minigames themselves were just long enough that made the minigame itself feel that much not great but um and i you pointed this out, Jason, that these mini games were designed to be just you just walk up and do them. Right. And for specifically the one where you have to like spin a crank to knock a Goomba down, that one makes sense. It takes like five seconds to complete. You can only do it one at a time. It definitely feels like a fidget toy for people just like chilling. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just play this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when it became like a 20 minute line, you have to wait for people to do it one at a time back to back. Like, it just feels like, like, oh god, like, it just feels almost but then like Bowser because yeah. the game itself, like, wasn't that great. But they have some other really great ones. Like, I almost kind of wish most of them were these like optional multiplayer or just like frantic ones, like we did when we had to like turn off alarm clocks to mm-hmm. not wake up a piranha plant or flip a bunch of panels to be the same color, be it blue or yellow. Like, those are really great. But yeah, I feel like, yeah, we. I feel- I feel like we should – I just say, I feel like we should back up and explain like what we're talking about real quick for folks who don't know. So basically um, if you've ever attended – bear with me. If you've ever attended a Nintendo booth at a gaming convention, it's sort of like that. So to get to Bowser Jr.'s castle, you have to go to different stations and play the thing, at which point you earn some proof of your engagement. In this case, digital keys in your companion Nintendo World app. And then once you collect enough of them, you get the cool, more exciting thing, like the prize at the booth, or in this case, Bowser Jr.'s Castle. Like, this is Nintendo's MO for any interactive thing they've done for years. At Comic-Con A3, when they used to go E3, you name it. But um, the actual individual challenges, or what Angel, you're describing, uh, they're fun, but they're kind, of, they're kind of like a cross between, like, a standard Mario mechanic and, like, a carnival game. Like you were mentioning, you know, the one where we had to hit the panels on the wall. Like I thought that was really cool because it sort of was how in like Mario Galaxy or was it 3D World where Mario has to jump on the panels and get them all the same color. Like you were doing that as a team with your hands on a wall. So that was kind of cool. The whack-a-mole one you mentioned with hitting the alarm clocks to keep the piranha plant awake. Like that to me was basically like a really souped up Mario Party-ified version of like a traditional carnival whack-a-mole. Um, 
So these are the different activities you have to do, which like you were saying, I was saying in theory, you just walk up and do, but do the crowds, not so much. And then once you do those, you get a key in your app. Once you have three of the four keys, you can go to Bowser Jr.'s castle. So that's kind of the, the, the like sequencing here for people who aren't familiar. Um, but yeah, I agree that some of them are like right on the cusp of being a little ridiculous. Like we waited like 30 plus minutes, I think, for the piranha plant whack-a-mole, like hit the alarm clocks to not wake the piranha plant thing. And that was fine, but, like, we did it because we knew there'd be a bigger thing at the end, which there was, and that paid off, I feel like, right? So. Oh, yeah. But you know what surprised me about the app is just how much, like, beyond that core game thing they offered. I mean, hidden around the park, like like in a Mario game, uh, our secret M's you can tap your power band against, get hidden 8-bit characters, all the question blocks, even the brown blocks can be bopped against and you get coins. The Mario Kart ride has achievements if you defeat enemies or find secrets. Like, And all this is tied together in the app by 128 stamps you can unlock for doing different things around the park. Some of which are obvious, like being the winning team in Mario Kart. And some are obviously very strictly designed for encouraging whatever the theme park version of replayability is. Like, one of the achievements is losing at the Mario Kart ride. So obviously you can't do both, so you got to come back and do it again or, or go in a second go-round or whatever. But some get really, really specific too. Like you shoot a paratrooper in one uh, segment of Mario Kart or visit the park in the spring or get a specific item from a randomizing gift box in the waiting area of the Toadstool Cafe, like a digital item. Like it's just, it's just a lot. And then on top of that, there are stamps tied to the in-app uh, leaderboard that's within the, the um, Nintendo World app. When So when you initially pick your power band um, themed around one of six characters, as we were saying before, you join the team of that character. And then every hour, the team leaderboard resets. So the more you and any other people with that same wristband do in the park in that hour, the better your team performs. And of course, there are stamps tied to being the top team and other associated achievements. So like there's just so much gamey stuff going on with this companion app with the power band that really Nobody like, ties it all together. No one likes Daisy. Yeah, it was like what, like d- double digit points when every other team was getting. Yeah, it was or something? like yeah, it was like sixty something, which means it's like maybe one person playing. Yeah, yeah, and it's not even sad. very much, <laughs> because yeah. I feel like if you just like go a lot on one question mark block, you're probably gonna get around like fifty, sixty coins. So there yeah, about, the, yeah. The, the Daisy doesn't have the most yeah. enthusiastic fans, which is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think someone that went out of their way to pick Daisy would be like the diehard. But yeah, but yeah, the whole thing just it it very much feels like you're part of this big game. Like even the leaderboards, I didn't I forgot to mention they have a friend system, so like you can compete not just against um the the teams, but the people you know are in the park with that day. And it's a game with replay value because if you want to be a true completionist, you gotta come back. Like we were there for hours, and I only got thirty six out of one hundred twenty eight stamps. You got fewer. Rachel got even fewer. Granted, some of the stuff didn't scan, like on Marker, right? But nonetheless, even if you scan them, we were only at like a quarter of the entire offerings. So, you know, there's there's definitely like a good Nintendo game reason to keep returning to it and playing and getting involved. Which brings me to pro number three, or at least my pro number three, the Mario Kart ride. Um, now this one people seem a bit more split on than other aspects of the park, but if you're interested in like the most gamified, gamiest feeling part of Super Nintendo World in the most traditional sense of what is a game, this is definitely it. Um, for those familiar with, I guess this is a fair comparison, what do you think, Angel? For those familiar with, I'd say like Toy Story Mania at Disney California Adventure, this is like that on steroids, essentially, right? Yeah, that's usually half. 
have I, that's usually the right of it compared it to, to explain it easily. I'll say it's like a, it's like they turned the Transformers ride into Midway Mania. Cause it's and made it that. less jerky because it's incredibly smooth compared to some other rides. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But do you, that's well, true. That one doesn't on have you shooting twice. stuff, so it is more of a... Right, right. Yeah, you get some burst of speed. This one simulates burst of speed. You've been on it twice. Do you want to explain kind of high level how it works? Yeah, so essentially they did a really good job. Like, it works. This is an AR game where, you know, if four people ride, in, ride on a cart, and if any, you have to put on, like, a visor pretty much with a lens that projects the targets and the other racers, other racers being Team Mario and Team Bowser, onto the track. Who they themselves are also targets. The the Bowser exactly. team, not the Mario team. Yeah. yeah, if you shoot the Mario team, you don't get any points. You only get the coins for hitting the Bowser team, and as and while you're also doing that, you have the steering wheel, which, of course, if you turn when you're supposed to be turning, basically on turns, you just get additional coins sprinkled throughout, sprinkled into your score throughout the track. And if you get more than 100 coins, you get the Universal Cup, which basically means you get the Universal Stamp. And A gold stamp game, in the app, mind you. Yes. Yeah. And essentially, you know, as the track is moving along, you see tangible, like, animatronics. You see, you know, there's... It's an actual track. It's like a big... I don't even know what shape it is. But, you know, you basically go on a long, round track. And you go through different themes, which is really awesome. You go through your underwater theme, your sky theme, your Bowser's Castle theme, your Rainbow Road. Yeah, Luigi's Mansion, or just a haunted house, but it's just nah, dude, they did a really Luigi. good job. It's straight up Luigi's Mansion. They have the swinging chandelier from the beginning of the. Tra- All the tracks are borrowed in design. I'm pretty from Mario Kart 8 sure. Deluxe. Yeah, but Mario Kart 8 Deluxe doesn't have Luigi's Mansion, but it does have a boo house with that music and those thingies. So it's everything but in name. Okay, yeah, yeah. fair, 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 fair. Yeah, it's it, 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 it's a technically, but yeah. I mean, obviously, you're, that you're got very it well actuallying right now, which I can respect as fellow Nintendo nerd. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it technically well, is. Well, actually, it's not Luigi's Mansion because he doesn't own the deed to it. It belongs to Boo, but yes. Yeah, which that one also belonged to Boo. So you know, tomato, tomato. At that point, um, <laughs> good point. <laughs> but yeah, and I would say you the part that where it becomes more divisive is the aforementioned headset with the visor. Mm-hmm. So to shoot these targets, you actually have to aim, like physically aim your head, and it will fire a Koopa shell like dead center of where you were looking at. Very accurate, very responsive. It works. Where you get the divisive part, and is whether you know if you get dizzy easily, this is you're not going to have a good time because these characters are just running all over in front of your face, both friendlies and not friendlies, as well as enemies. When you're looking scanning for targets. If yeah, if you get motion sickness easily, I could see you not enjoying this. Thankfully, I do not get sick easily. So and, and to clarify, you mean with the visor? If you with don't the have visor, the visor, with the you visor. still have a dark ride with some effects and stuff, and and you won't get motion sick. So. Yeah, obviously you'll miss out on some of the things because you know, like the Koopalings and Bowser will like actively assault you. Like Bowser will throw like right. a blooper at you. So if you're not wearing that, you're gonna miss out on some of the, I guess we'll call them scripted moments, but. Unfortunately, like the other part that I guess kind of had me split was that it's like I like the fact that it's a game because it makes sense it's Mario Kart and that it works. But on the other hand, I just love 
or I would have loved for them to go all in on the bringing Mario Kart to quote unquote real life, kind of how they did with the Rift of Nintendo World. It almost felt like myth potential because, like, when you're looking at the track, and the track has some really beautiful like segments, and then they also even have these screens that like will show like the giant eel or I don't even know what they're called, the giant creepy looking cloud monsters that will blow air at you. Some of those screens are so crisp, it's almost like it's almost like a like an animatronic or something. I don't know. It's actually kind of crazy. But yeah, essentially like for me, someone that honestly overall, like, and probably just like, you know, over the years, I've just been less enthused to actively play something during a ride. Like I would, I guess if it comes down to it, I would much rather be like, entertain me while I'm just sitting back and observing things. Don't make me do stuff. And the unfortunate part of this one is that if you're doing the stuff, I found it kind of hard to concentrate or even like really give the time of day to the stuff around me because I was trying to shoot a Koopa. And when I take off the visors, it felt like almost like it was still nice, but it just felt a little too empty. I mean, obviously the whole point is to wear the goggles, but it felt like the goggles are kind of distracting from the part that I would have enjoyed most about the ride or that I do enjoy most about the ride, which is the physical tangible part. But it works. I mean, it has some great emotional beats. I still love it, but yeah, I don't know. Actually, damn. I guess I really like it. I guess I don't love it. I, I that was the I only part I was kind of disappointed about. I was just like, man, like this could have been like perfect because there was some concept art that floated around. I think that's the only thing that I actually saw because I don't know how I could have missed that. Like with Twitter just popping stuff up, but it was basically like it showed people in a giant cart. And then it showed, like, you know, them on a racetrack with other Nintendo characters, like, right next to them. Which you could argue is kind of what is happening. But, you know, they had a Wario there, which doesn't even ha- appear in the in the final game. But I was expecting something like, you know, you have these giant animatronic characters that are also just, like, on the track with you. Like, maybe not all of them, but just, like, a few of them. Right. Like, that would have been kind of creepy and cool. Kind of like the... Uh, it's funny... And it's kind of sad. I feel like the better Mario Kart ride in the end is the VR one. Because that one is, you know, it's I, all in on you know, that aspect. And you pretty it? much yeah. and you pretty yeah. much get that. Like, you, you grab the items, you throw them, you don't get any of the distracting things. Because you're, it's 100% of immersive in a video game versus AR technology, which it works. But I personally don't think AR technology is quite there yet to make it feel immersive i feel like i wasn't immersed i feel like i was just playing a a mini game right on a ride versus if it was just i felt more immersed doing the bowser jr thing if anything right but it yeah it's it's interesting it's a good ride but for for what it's worth um so uh rachel didn't wear the headset because she does get uh motion sickness and she said as a dark ride it was she thought it was great but i get what you mean with the end because if you go from wearing the headset to not you do lose something if you go from never having the headset it's like oh okay so i get what you mean for me what i thought was interesting about it is that so initially it's actually slower moving than you expect but then kind of what you're describing there's like the sensory overload that just hits and for me, I, I I mean this more in a good way than a bad, but there's just a crazy amount of stuff going on because you've got, like you were saying, the physical props and the, and the uh, you know, 
elements intermixed with some of those crazy, I don't know where they sourced them from, highest resolution screens I've ever seen. But then on top of that, you've got, you know, like you're saying, the, the visor with the AR holograms and there's just all this chaos. And, you know, you mentioned if you turn the wheel when the ride turns, one thing to mention is in your AR headset, as the ride turns, you're encouraged to turn your steering wheel because there's a giant arrow on top of everything else going on that appears. It's like, now turn this way. And um, if you sync it up right, like you can earn st- – like I got a stamp for doing 12 drifts in a row. I'm not even 100% sure how I did the drifts. I think I just turned it just right based on the arrow. But that's that arrow is on top of everything else you're already describing. And then if you look down, you always have like your, your shell count and your coin count. And then if you look to the sides, like bullet bills will be coming at you. And, and you've got the item boxes coming towards you when you're driving forward and you're launching your shells with those little thumb buttons on the steering wheel. And you have parts of the ride that like they're – Physical parts of the ride launching, as you put it, scripted events like digital augmented reality targets to then shoot. And there's just these extra graphical flourishes. And like the Rainbow Road segment in particular has like – I it was very intense. So like it, it's a lot at once. And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be a little daunting initially. I mean the fact that Nintendo has you view instructional videos on how to play three times – while you wait in line, two of which include drawings of Mies in 2D, which is kind of neat. I remember the last time we saw 2D Mies. But um, you view those instructions three times before you board the ride, which I think goes to show it's not necessarily the simplest thing. Even in, in – never mind like is AR there or not? Is shipping more physical? Should it be more digital? Just the implementation they have now is like chaotic a little. And it's overwhelming on a first ride. But I really – liked it a lot like you were saying i i I, like i i don't know if i'd say i loved it but i really liked it and i think like a lot of the rest of the park it does seem geared towards the idea that like a video game you want replayability and what really gave me that sense are um besides you know there there are the stamps i unlocked around hidden secrets i didn't intend to find or whatever and also at one point the ride actually um held us in a segment longer than intended. Like our cart was like stuck in like a segment for a few seconds and it let us like pop off our visors and kind of survey the scene and compare what's showing up in the AR visor, what's physical, what's screens, what's digital augmentations. And when I was looking at that and kind of doing the comparison and seeing everything that went into the ride and seeing, you know, just the layers to it, I was like, okay, there, I understand that I could see like literally in those moments how this was designed to be something that, it's supposed to be played repeatedly. You're supposed to have new layers. You're supposed to have surprises. Things are not always going to be exactly what you think because, yes, there is AR in this thing, but then there's this other thing and then that other thing. So, like, I kind of got it. It, like, clicked with me in the moment there. But definitely if it's, like, a one-and-done ride like or, like, a Star Wars Rise of the Resistance type of ride where it's supposed to be just, like, you're guided through the experience. You have to do anything. This is very chaotic by comparison. But I thought it was very really fun for that reason. And it felt – you were almost saying it, like, kind of negative. Like, it felt gamey or, like, a mini game. I actually thought, like, is a really cool, like, physical embodiment of what Nintendo represents in the sense of it was a game and it was gamey, but, like, combined technologies that you couldn't do if you were playing Nintendo at home. Oh, yeah, and it's and so, it's cool to see that all come together, but, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, and this is obviously, like, because it's so awesome, because a lot of it does just work, like, you know, we have to get my Kitiki hat out because, you know, you, you tend to see those things on the things that you're really i mean it was a cool ride no no denying that but because of also how well nintendo does a lot of i guess we'll call immersive experiences it's like yeah 
Yeah, because it's like, I don't play Mario Kart by aiming with my head. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like they, they could have maybe, I mean, their, the technology is there. Like, Disney California Ranger does have a ride where you're kind of doing the same thing. You're on a track of sorts, quote unquote. You're just doing like Spider-Man web shooting gestures to hit things. And the aiming works pretty well. It's not perfect, but it works mm-hmm. well enough that you don't really notice. I feel like almost something that would work for like throwing stuff. I mean, so you could not have to jerk your head as much, but then, you know, I, 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 I guess cause you know, I don't, if it felt more like I was playing Mario Kart, it didn't feel like I was playing Mario Kart. It felt like I was yeah, playing was like a shooting Mario, gallery like a on a, on a cart. Right. It was like, like a, a Mario Kart theme shooting gallery. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which but, you to know. some extent, maybe by design, I mean, again, I'm not saying what you're saying is invalid by any means, uh, but I wonder if by, if that was somewhat by design, cause like, you could go play Mario Kart at home, so I needed to do something that would be different. Like even Mario Kart VR, which is super awesome when we did it. It's kind of the video game. This is something different. Oh, yeah, and for the purposes yeah. of like, I mean, it all ties together with the park itself and like the whole like you know wristbands and collecting coins and all. So like, yeah, it, it's definitely a great way to gamify it, where you do have to come back multiple times because obviously. Yeah, we were seeing some really high scores, and it's like, geez, that they probably have like everything memorized. And I'm sure there's still some little secrets and stuff out there. I mean, there's always oh, is. for sure, like that random paratrooper I got stamped for you. And you, you've done it twice already. Like, did you? Yeah. How do you? Yeah, feel? Like so my... This was your second go. So did it feel different than the first? Like, did it feel less chaotic? Did it feel like you had a little more grip on what was going on? Like, how was it for you? Uh, time two it, versus it felt the same. I, I felt like. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I still loved it. Like, I mean, obviously, like the Rainbow Road part is like the best part. But, um, yeah, it is, but yeah, it, 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 honestly, like it, it just keeps making me go like, man, I wish it was just like a, a ride, just a ride. Like, right. I hope they did that with like the Donkey Kong ride, but then, you know, but then if it was just a ride, then you wouldn't have the implementation of the wristband, which I feel is really cool. Like they shouldn't, I'm glad, I'm glad they, I'm glad they took a risk. They, they, they tried it. It, it works. It's definitely but, chaotic. It's sensory overload, but yeah. I feel like it for me it definitely like felt like the right type. Yeah. But the thing is I don't like that, you know, it, it sets new expectations. I mean, obviously I had no idea what they were gonna do and it still blew my mind in certain aspects, but now it's just like, oh, and I want them to take this further. We'll see what they can do with it in the future. Right. Right. And the thing is Maybe have a nice is... combination of gamified rides and just enjoy them rides. I don't know what to call them. And I'm very but, curious because, yeah. like, most rides – like, if you go to a lot of Disney or Universal rides, they feel dated once they get past their source material, right? Like, one thing I noticed when we were waiting to get into Mario Kart is they were using footage of Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on all the, like infer- – uh, they had a Mario Kart TV room you go into. And they had all this footage of the game, and I'm like, oh, that's going to be, like, in 10 years when you, you know, go look at, like – I don't know. I can't think of an example. Like, uh, well, the Toy Story rides and all the footage of, like, the instructional videos, like, old Toy Story, not the new renders or whatever – but um, the advantage of something like this is so much of it is digital. They could swap it. So in theory, they can keep this exact same ride and completely redo the headband so your field of vision on the AR visor is twice as wide or something. Like there's a lot of interesting ways they could sort of upgrade this without having to rebuild it in any way, shape, or form. So I'd be curious to see like the fact that it is so digital. What does that mean for not just future rides as this being the new like barometer but also um how this one can change and evolve compared to more physical ones so that will that'll be kind of interesting yeah anyway um, we were were kind of uh, sorry what 
I think, yeah, prospects are pretty exciting overall. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we were kind of touching on this because I was asking you, like, how is it in L.A. versus Japan or how is it going in L.A. again versus Japan the first time? Um, I feel like the Japan comparison in general kind of is a good pivot to what perhaps – I won't call these cons. I said there are pros and cons, but the things that perhaps Super Nintendo World wasn't as strong at or in, in my opinion, um, I think a, one a lot of people will pick up on very quickly – even compared to the Japanese park, and you can confirm this, Angel, it's small, Super Nintendo World Hollywood. Like, small, right? Like, Japan was bigger, right? It is. I mean, it's not that much bigger, but it, it is bigger. Um, I mean, essentially, the biggest thing you'll notice right away when you enter is that, well, first of all, the tunnel is also much longer. So you get, like, it's funny, actually, the area leading up to Nintendo World in Japan, it's like a long like, it's a long road that pretty much starts like with like little to no Nintendo theming and then little by little you get like a manhole with like the coin symbol on it or like some score stencils on the floor or you start to get like a pipe hmm. pop up and then as you keep going and you're passing like the shrubbery and stuff, then you see like the entrance with the pipe and everything and then you go through the pipe and it's like Maybe like twice as long as the one in LA because I felt like you pretty much there's like a short distance where it's just pipe and then suddenly you're on the other side in Peach's Castle just like in the one in the US. Right. Except over there, you're already on the second floor of this like two-tiered area. Oh, interesting. And so theirs is mostly two-story while ours is just the edges are two-story. Yeah. And in the US... You only end up in the second story if you're in line for Mario Kart or I guess I go exploring that Bowser Jr. side. Or that but, staircase. Yeah, that staircase to the yeah, laser. But, but for the most part, the, but for the most part, like there isn't really any walking around up there. And in the U.S., there's, there's pretty much like a whole like top layer and a bottom layer. And the top layer also has is where you have some of the Bowser Jr. mini games as well as down there. You have like a photo center that this one doesn't have, but that's because you have the Yoshi Island ride, which right. has like a photo opportunity, which if I knew better Japanese, Captain Toad would be basically prepping you to take a picture. But we didn't know that, so we just kind of came up pretty candidly on that picture. Which we still bought, because you get like a really nice Yoshi frame, which is really, really cool. That's, but I'm actually... Well, I'm mostly just that Captain Toad is prepping you for a picture, because that... I would love to meet Captain Toad. I would love to meet the costume Toad, but he's not in it the US was the park. Captain Toad. Crazy. Man. Man, I'm jealous. But yeah, no, even the in the US, we don't get costume Toad because there's not room. Wow. Which but, isn't yeah. a fault of Universal. Besides, they have very limited land to work with. Oh, yeah. like th th yeah. That's the biggest difference. I mean, this was a movie studio first that then got you know a theme park attached to it. And the one in yeah. Japan was a theme park first. Like, they... You could tell they had the space. I mean, they have a whole Jaws land over there. And Jurassic Park is also, like, arguably big enough to be considered its own land right. in Japan as well. And here in the U.S., like, we actually have, like, two big stores in Nintendo World. You have the Mario Kart-themed one that literally you're spit into right after getting on the Mario Kart ride, as well as the 1-Up Factory, which in the U.S., I believe, is the only store in, in the there. Same, yeah. By the way, one-up factory, and what Mario game can you produce your own one-ups whenever you want? Like, that's the least themed thing in the whole park. Like, what? <laughs> but, um... That's true. Yeah, but, it's definitely... And, and even merch. Actually, that is one um, 
I guess, pro, maybe difference or yeah. just complementary thing about uh, the US one is that while the one in Japan obviously has much more merch and a much more variety, much more wide variety of types of merch. I mean, you went from like boxers to stationery to like pencils to, you know, dancing piranha plants to like boo lamps to boo berets to bullet bill shirts. I just keep just going. But over here in the US, you actually have a lot of different merch that you don't have over there. Not as much, but you have some really cool stuff. You have a lot of cool like Bowser shirts, Yoshi shirts, a lot of mm-hmm. bright colored stuff. The pins, though, there's some pins that are pretty cool that we have here in the U.S., but there's other ones that just feel kind of cheap. Like, they just yeah. got the outline of, like, Bowser's head, and instead of, like, you know, making the rest of it enamel on the inside, they just, like, slapped, like, a just a JPEG on top. And, yeah, it's like you, you kind of feel the... Some of the merch feels like, whoa, like, they went the extra mile. This is cool. And the others feel like, oh... Hmm. Like over there, you also right. have like a little miniature replica of like Toad's Cafe that you could use to like hold up like a note or like a reminder or like pieces of paper or something. And over here, I think we just had the plush for Chef Toad and like a figurine. But well, the figurine was sold out everywhere, as I learned. But yes, just the plush for the moment. Yeah, and I guess in Japan and the U.S., you even had like little metallic castle you could build at some point, which looks freaking awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's different, but yeah, I, that's actually in general. And while you can say that, like, objectively, the Japan one is better, which is not, I would say it's like a fair comparison. I don't think it's you know, even like a surprise to anyone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's not, yeah. it's not a fair comparison or like, like, oh, this just in, like, really, like the one yeah. in Japan. Like, of course it is. But that being said, um, you don't go, to Universal Hollywood, Universal Studios Hollywood, Nintendo World, and feel like something was missing. Like, I still feel like we got, like, the full picture. Like, it's only because I've been to the other one that it's like, oh, the other one had this or that. But if you don't know what's over there, like, you still feel like you get the full experience. I still feel like I got the full experience. It's just different. It it, it complements it, if anything. Like, now you have a reason, more of a reason to go to Japan, but also enjoy this one. Right, and I do want to give credit where it's due because, like, to use another Disneyland comparison, just to sort of give people a frame of reference, I would say the Hollywood Nintendo World is like the Toontown equivalent for Universal Studios. Like, it's more isolated, contained. It's incredibly colorful. It's just a little small and kind of to the side of the park. Um, but the designers of the park did overcome this in a lot of ways. I feel like I think in in trying to be like a Mario game and offer lots of secrets, like the smallness is a bit deceiving to your point about it still feels like a full experience. Like in the sense that there are multiple hidden rooms and hallways. There's that staircase with the viewing deck. There's little Easter eggs to find things like the eight bit characters I mentioned earlier, the hidden Pikmin, there are two sets of hidden Pikmin. Good luck. Uh, You know, all those turn a small space into something that offers a lot more to do per square foot than probably most, if not, any other theme park um but just you know you go in kind of knowing all right you're getting a single actual ride a single cafe a couple interactive car- carnival gets couples not fair you get five of them if you include bowser jr and a single store although there are at least three other nintendo stores around the rest of universal but like just go in kind of knowing that and you could still have a very good all-encompassing experience but that main plaza the main area you can see across it very easily um but it doesn't it, it doesn't detract to your point? Yeah, I don't think it detracts at all. It's just something to be mindful of. And but I do think what compounds that feeling of of 
smallness is that it's very crowded because the park is relatively new, which is really con number two of the current situation, uh, the growing pains of managing a new park in its crowds. So Mario Kart for, and this isn't like a fault of the park or a fault of design, it's just the reality of a new park in crowds. So like Mario Kart, for example, um, we had about a 90 minute to two hour wait. And that's only because we got there right at park opening. The individual key challenges, the carnival games, um, if you will, some had a wait. I think I was saying, you know, the prom plant one took us about 30 minutes. Uh, once the rain got a little heavier, as we were talking about earlier, that did clear out a bit. So we were able to do one of the other challenges in Bowser Jr. Castle uh, fairly quickly. But if those were our wait times in the morning on a rainy weekday, you know, 90 minutes to two hours for Mario Kart, 30 minutes for the prom plant. Granted, it was Mario Day, but it was a rainy weekday. Imagine a sunny Sunday afternoon by comparison, right? And because, you know, it's physically relatively small, the crowds are going to feel that much more dense. And we didn't even have the costume characters out because of the rain again. So imagine the crisscrossing lines from Mario, Luigi, and Peach photo ops with all this other stuff going on. It's just something to be mindful of. It doesn't mean it's not worth going. It's still an absolutely cool experience. But um, And part of that's because the crowd management does, for the most part, seem good. Like for Mario Kart, you know, the queue's well handled. You go through all those different themed areas we talked about. But then something we haven't touched on, uh, Toadstool Cafe, the restaurant. Oh, yeah, that Toadstool wasn't as well Cafe. organized. Yeah. So. yeah um, might as well start with a positive. Um, they <laughs> have... The, they have a Bowser-themed dish that they didn't have in Japan. I don't know if they added it to the other one, but I this feel was like, I a lot Whoa. of the dishes aren't the same as Japan. Am I wrong? Um, yeah, a lot of them are... Uh, like, the, the, a lot of the core ones are the same, but I guess Japan has a lot that the U.S. one doesn't. Right. And I right. guess the U.S. one has, I guess, this Bowser one <laughs> that the Japan one doesn't, or the cupcake, for that matter. Well, they have a full... But, the peach cake in Japan comes with a cookie letter of the letter she writes to Mario on oh, yeah. 64, which is amazing. The one in the U.S. is a pink cupcake with a little edible crown. So... Yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, it's a pretty delicious-looking cupcake, but it, yeah, it's I, no, I it's, it. It's, it's, no, it's no peach's it's, cake. It's funfetti. Um, it's great. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you have this Bowser dish that is literally just a pound of meat with, like, a Bowser-shaped piece of bread and some spicy sauce, which is really awesome. We even got to keep the... The flag at the end with the has like a flat, a tiny little plastic flag that has Bowser's emblem on it. We we need and back I, up. Hold on, hold on. You can't just say it's a pound of meat. It's a meatball. It's not like they just gave you a chunk of meat. <laughs> like it's it's with spices and stuff. That's what the description <laughs> said. One pound of meat. I know, but it's like okay, sure. <laughs> if I th- if I say meatball, I feel like it makes it look sound smaller than it is. It's a. I mean, I, it was a, a huge meatball. meatball. The, the Bowser bread was super cool. It looked just like the emblem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you finish the bowl, there's like a black Bowser imprint on the bottom of the plate too. But yeah, also another one of those things like almost every, I guess, themed area you go to has at least some kind of paid upgrade where you get to keep the plate or something. And this is the first time that obviously we've really wanted to do so and they just didn't have that option. I wanted that you Bowser plate. one up mushroom cups. That you can pay twenty dollars for and put soda in, and it's literally a one-up mushroom with a straw sticking out the back. Uh, but the, uh, the, yeah. the plate, the the tableware at Toadstool Cafe was so nice. Like it was the outfits they wear with the little like mushroom emblem on, like stitched in, so nice. It was really well done. Oh yeah, those are really nice. The, yeah. the smocks or whatever they're called. yeah or whatever they're called. And they wear little berets and and yeah. yeah but but the, and, and the food was still good. Like the Mario burger yeah. was pretty filling, and I finally got my Mario hat. So I think I have. All the plastic doodads that you can get, except for a um, little Mario that you, 
you get from a kid's meal that Jason which got. Which I have because I got the kid's yeah. meal, which actually is large. That's the thing. Go in knowing all the portions are actually pretty big. So we definitely American size. on our <laughs> side. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Toadstool but, Cafe in terms of the con, not the pro. So here's how it works to get into Toadstool Cafe. And again, this is growing pains. They'll probably overcome it, but just to paint a picture. So how it works is it's first come, first serve reservations. You make them when you enter the park via QR code right outside the cafe. Uh, I think by 11 a.m., give or take, they were gone for the day. Like, that's how popular it is right now. Thanks to you, Angel and Elvis, the the hustle of you two, we have a perfectly timed reservation for 12.45 p.m. Great lunchtime time. So once you get there, you wait in a line to get in. Then there's another line with a chef toad chatting about his menu offerings in that adorable, although not quite as scruffy as I expected, toad voice. Um, But still, some nice world building. He comes out. He's like, oh, welcome to my restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. That wait was probably 30 minutes, give or take. Then you uh, place your order. Then you wait for a table, which the staff will assign to you. Uh, That was maybe five or seven minutes. Then you wait for your food, which, well, you guys got it quick. But Rachel and I, uh, they forgot us entirely. So it's all said and done. We had a 12.45 reservation. I don't think we got our half of the four of ours meal until uh, about 2.10 or 2.15. So... I can easily chalk this up to being, you know, it's a new opening. There's growing pains with crowd management, like I was saying, what have you. And you can tell the cafe is set up to not have anyone wait this long, you know, from the frequency that Chef Toad walks into the screen to welcome guests. Some of the really cool in-cafe animations in the fake screen windows I won't spoil. But we ended up, you know, seeing that experience play out twice. We heard Chef Toad spiel maybe like seven or eight times. So that did seem a little off, and clearly they were just trying to keep up with demand. Um, but I think it really just goes to show that for the foreseeable future, if you go to Super Nintendo World, the huge crowds are going to be part of the experience for better or worse, and you just need to kind of mentally prepare that, like, it's a new park. It's a smallish park. There's going to be crowds. You're going to have to just roll with it. And if you go in with the right attitude... It'll be great, but just go in with that attitude. Just know going in. Or decide, wait a year until it dies down or six months or whatever. But, um, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say from your end, Angel? Um, No, I mean, not nothing else. I mean, it's just great if you haven't had the chance to go and you even remotely like yeah. Nintendo a little bit. You will definitely enjoy it. And if you have a trip to Japan coming up, boy, man. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, I, I do, I do think that's... Actually, the one in Japan, one last thing, if I forgot. Or, mm-hmm. Maybe I mentioned it last time. But you can actually see the entrance. Like You can walk up to the entrance of where the Donkey Kong area is going to be. Because they already basically have that built. It looks like one of the exit areas from Donkey Kong Country Returns. And you could hear like drums or drumming oh, as that's you get closer cool. and closer. They're already teasing it. That's great. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much but it. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I, I do want to say I think... You know, obviously we got into some real, like, drilling down to the nitty-gritty, like, in terms of, like, how the food was served and the time it took. But, like, big picture, can I just say that having something like Super Nintendo World, not just in our own backyard for us here in L.A., but existing in any capacity is just so cool for us longtime fans. Like, sure, any age group that likes Mario will enjoy it, for sure. Like, the park even puts all the question blocks at kid height exclusively because, you know... There's a huge demographic who will attend and enjoy it and need to be able to hit those blocks. But for us, like the guys following Nintendo for 20, 30 years, it's like stepping into a dream. Like, honestly, like to see so much of what shaped like our gaming passion and for me, like my number one fandom, to have it like be tactile and visceral and done so overwhelmingly well 
with such an attention to detail and fan service big and small. Like it's just it's just a really awesome experience and feeling. And I'm beyond excited to not just have been able to feel that on Friday on Mario Day, but we get to feel that again, or at least I get to feel that again. I don't know how you guys feel about the movie, but in three weeks' time, in an entire different way, the exact same feeling with the Mario movie. Because that comes out April 5th. That's right around the corner. And without spoiling any trailers or anything, because I know, you know, some folks are on Mia Blackouts, you can see that exact same love that exact same care for fans old and young in the footage they've put out so far. Like, the broad swipes in which you can clearly say, yeah, that's Mario, are there. But then, like, there's deeper cuts, there's attention to detail on some of the one-off things they're referencing from Mario games new and old and everything in between. Like, it's like I said at the top of the show. I'm absolutely living, like, my best Nintendo fan life right now. I'm, I think, yeah, I'm on, I, I said it before, but I'm on Cloud9 of, like, Nintendo nerddom. Like, it's amazing that we're getting this one-two punch so close together. And I'm so yeah, universal. Like, this is... This is great. Yeah. Universal ruined some of my media blackouts. I learned yeah, about... Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. Yeah, yeah, a certain thing that happened in the movie. If case There's a photo op the second you leave the parking lot of the thing that Angel didn't want to know happened. So. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's The nice just thing like... about going down to media blackout overall, though, is that I almost immediately always forget when the movie's coming out. So anytime I do hear about it, it's like, oh, it's almost already here. Like, oh, geez. Like, the right. wait is easy. Yeah, I need to actually ask my brother because I think we were getting tickets for for the Chinese theater, which is usually where we watch our movies. I'm throwing it out there. I mentioned it to you guys off mic, but I'll say it on mic too. Uh, I got tickets for midnight showing by my like my close theater because I there's no way I have the patience to wait for any other time. Like I'm so excited for this movie, ignoring the voice acting. I'm so excited for this moving, uh, this movie, but I'm down to go repeatedly. So if you find a 4DX showing, if you want to go see it, wherever which way, I will see it endless times. I, that, that's where my hype's at. I don't even care what if it's it good sucks. Or not. There's just enough. There's just enough <laughs> visual fan service that I'm I'm in no matter what. Watch me eat my words. Well, what in if it weeks. sucks? <laughs> I really hope not. I mean, I got I rarely get emotional about like fandom things. There are a few times I have recently. The Rainbow Road portion of the Mario this, Kart this ride. Is what, this is what fans said about the first Suicide Squad. Like verbatim, just replace Mario with Suicide. Did Squad. they really? I don't know. I'm guessing oh, someone. Boy. Is. Some don't don't you dare! I mean, pe- don't people people seemed really excited for the movie before I came out, right? Like people seemed hype because of the trailers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The maybe? director was incredibly hype. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I hope it doesn't suck. I I'm pretty confident. I don't think Nintendo would let it. I think it would be middling at best, but the fan service will be good and the plot will be subpar. That's my. Low expectation. Which honestly is already good because I mean I love the first Sonic movie and objectively like it's not even like a great movie but there's just enough there that just makes me like it anyway. I thought they were fun to be fair to Sonic. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, No I'm better but they're. Kevin I I really hope it doesn't suck (laughs) but (laughs) it's possible. I mean Um, we don't need Citizen Kane. No we just need. Yeah. Yeah. A living, breathing Mario world in a different way than the just physical sense. one we just were at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As long as there's a point yeah. A to B that doesn't feel illogical, I'm good. Yeah, and hopefully the yeah, rumors that it might be a musical. Please don't do a whole like, oh, the movie is actually someone playing the video game this whole time. Like, no. Oh my god, be... we w- <laughs> it pans out and it's it's you know someone waking from a coma and it was all a dream. Yeah, it was actually Chris Pratt playing it, and that's why he sounds like Mario because he was just talking for. It him, is a kid doing his voice. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of movies, though, I feel like Kevin, we haven't talked to you at all for the last hour. Hi. 
Yeah. Help me steal your hosting duties, Angel. While you guys were talking about uh, Super Mario Land, I just booted up Nintendo Land on the uh, the Wii U here and just try to have it. No, I don't have a Wii U. Okay. (laughs) I was like, wow, okay. Nintendo Land's actually one of the better Wii U games, so I'll give you that. If you did. No, I didn't. (laughs) What did you guys want to talk about? But but you did. I mean, well, I'm I'm looking at the docket here, and actually, I know because my brother told me yesterday that he saw Scream Six, and I guess you were there. Yes, I was. And, that sounded weirdly and, accusatory, by the way. You were there <laughs> at the hour, though. That, and like and like my brother. <laughs> then then I'd be like, oh, well, this, this entire episode. Yeah, I guess that'd be. Sucks. I guess that'd be. Then I guess I'd be like, well, did you watch it already? Just to read like, us Elvis's written review. Well, because like Elvis, I had only seen part one. I think I've saw part two, but I don't remember. I've never seen a part two. You've never seen a screen movie. I just know I Shaggy that, is the villain. It. Sorry, spoilers. I guess. Yeah, spoilers for a movie um, that's over twenty years old at this point. But yeah, I mean, was it good? Oh, Funny? Man. Well, unintentionally bad. I I love the Scream series. These movies were made for someone like me who loves meta commentary in their and, TV and movies. And the show? I, You know what? I haven't watched the show. I haven't heard great things about it. I Uh-oh. forgot there was a show until just now. Wow. Yeah, it, so it's not canon, and the first two seasons didn't even use the ghost face mask because they couldn't get the license to it. What? <laughs> who made this show? I don't understand. Uh... I was don't. That, oh, it was MTV. It, it was wasn't on it? MTV. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the third season was on BET, I think. I, I mean, they're remember. both Viacom, so sure. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, those those aren't canon. Screen six is canon, and uh, yeah, I didn't know what to expect for this movie because while I love the series, when I Scream five came out. Uh, I think about two years ago now, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, wasn't my favorite, but like, wasn't also my least favorite. I do have a least favorite for, for these movies. Scream Three is not very good in my own opinion, but um, Scream Five, uh, I think successfully rebooted the series, or as they, co- they didn't coin it, but they use it a lot. The requel, the reboot sequel, that uh Hollywood <laughs> is. So I'm fond of these days. Very fond of. I didn't know that was a term, though. Interesting. Yeah. So oh, um, so Halloween is a requel. Yeah, Halloween 2018 is a requel. Yep. Like, yeah. Halloween gets a shout-out in Scream 5, as a matter of fact. But, um, yeah, Scream 6. I went media blackout with this one. Um, All I knew was that the surviving characters of Scream 5 would be in it. And would take place in Manhattan, in New York specifically. Well, yeah, no shit, huh? That is New York. Um, yeah, it'd be Manhattan in New York specifically, yeah. not yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So, like I said, I I didn't know exactly what it, like going into it. I didn't know anybody's hype level because I I just try to avoid as much Scream Six as I could, and I'm really glad that I did because I came out of that theater. With this being my favorite movie in the series. Like, wow. hands down. Like, Scream 1 was a revolutionary movie when it came out. 
and like obviously nothing will ever be able to recreate the magic of that original movie but this takes everything that's come before it quite literally at some points and breathes you life into it into the series which probably makes it feel better than it actually is but i don't really care like i'll tell you this much i we started recording 30 minutes after I came back from a second viewing of the movie. I went. Oh, really? Yep. I, <laughs> I I went to the theaters again to see it by myself this time around. Um, mainly because I, I didn't watch the ending last time because I had a important phone call I had to take. Um, but yeah, I, I love this movie. Um, I won't get too much into its specifics. But, you know, these movies are slashers slash whodunit mysteries. Um. And this movie follows the surviving cast of the last movie and whisks them off to New York. And surprise, surprise, a new string of murders committed by someone in the Ghostface Max uh, starts a new mystery as they try to survive and find out who this new Ghostface is. And like, boy, do people get messed up in this movie trying to unmask the killer. It's by far the most brutal movie in the series. It's something about it taking place in New York just makes it have this like grimy coat on top of it um because you know they're on the streets of new york they're in uh the new york metro stations um it's just very very brutal and it's not necessarily because the kills are extravagant which there are some extravagant kills in this but mainly because this the lead-up to some of the kills are filled with tension that you just can't help but like leave out a sigh of relief once Ghost fade actually ghost face actually stabs someone, you know, in the stomach. It's by far the scariest movie in the series. Not necessarily that it's like scary, but you know, some some of the screen movies almost don't try with their horror. Scream three is a perfect example. That movie is just camp. Um and Scream Four tries to be like you know, it tries to have its tension, but the this comes from the directors of Scream 5, and they know how to do tension well, because aside from these two movies, they also directed a movie called Ready or Not, which I don't know if either of you guys saw. I'm a, I, I know of it. I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, same here. I, I know it exists. <laughs> yeah, like that, that movie, once I found out that Scream 5 was in the hands of the guys that did Ready or Not, I was like, okay, the, the movie is in, is in, they're, they're in good hands, because they know how to construct a a dark but incredibly funny like horror movie um but like for as movie for a movie as dark and visceral as this one it's still incredibly fun like you actually care about the characters and their relationships um it's full of fan service that like a diehard screen fan like me lives for and it even includes like it includes a few series first that just had me like internally pumping my fist up in hype um I'll tell you guys after the podcast. I don't know if you guys would care, but like, there's, there's one thing that this movie did for the that we see for the first time, and it it clicked with me. And we went with another friend of ours, uh, Matthew, and I brought that up, and he was like, "Yep, that that part was awesome because it was just something that we'd never seen before in a screen movie." Like, Jason, you and I talked about how quality. No, just kidding. I don't know. Oh snap! Uh, <laughs> what are you saying, Kevin? Oh, uh, me and you talked about how. Ryan Johnson is going to have a hard time trying to subvert expectations for the next Knives Out movie. Oh, totally, yeah. I now feel the same way about the writers for Scream 7 
because this movie subverted my expectations for what a screen movie could be within the first 10 minutes. Like, oh wow, it took me for a loop that I'm sure it took a lot of people for a loop. And then almost immediately takes you for another loop within like the span of five minutes. I'm sorry. Oh. I just need a water. Oh, <laughs> ghost face got to Kevin. A very yeah. aggressive thirst. What's your favorite <laughs> scary <Yeah>. movie? <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, like if you're planning to watch this movie, watch it with a full theater because like the reactions that I got on my first viewing, which to be fair, it was on Saturday, uh, were amazing. Like people were cheering at the carnage that was on screen. It was, it was so so much fun. Um, yeah, scream. I can't recommend this movie enough to like fans of the scream series. Obviously, if you're a fan of the scream series, you're gonna watch this, but. I don't know, like, I would, I almost felt bad. No, I did feel bad because I kind of forced Elvis to come with us to watch this movie. And he was like, what's there? Like, I haven't seen one through five. You don't have to see one through five to understand this movie, but you'll get a lot more joy out of it if you do. And if you're a fan of them. So it's the Super Nintendo world of Scream movies. No, not everything is, is, is. (laughs) <laughs> is like that, Jason, okay? I'm trying so hard to make it so. No, but I, I get what you mean. It sounds like if you're a fan, you get that extra layer. Yeah, it's it's, it's not even just an extra It's like multiple layers. It's it's it's, it's a good onion. time to be a, uh, a, a Scream fan. And like I said, they, they announced a, a seventh movie. Hopefully it's the same team because I think they're just knocking out of the part with their Scream movies. Did you know the music... For Scream 6, the soundtrack, uh, Mike Schnell of Linkin Park was heavily involved. He did two of the songs. Oh, interesting. More you know. Yeah. The the ending song with Demi Lovato, he was the producer, mixer, all the instruments, the co-writer, and then he has his own single out as well that's like a like a B-side to it. Oh, I I was wondering why I didn't like the, the, the song at the end. Mike Schnell was involved in it. <laughs> You're the worst. I shouldn't have told you. Oh, one but, thing that yeah. this movie did do something. This movie, this is the first screen movie without the main character of the first four movies. She was in the fifth movie, but almost like a side character. Uh, I'm talking about Cindy Prescott. Uh, her absence isn't really felt, but it was still weird to see a movie without her. Um, she is mentioned a few times. Um, and it's not like they killed off her character or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, like I know a lot of people are huge fans of that character she wasn't necessary in this movie and i don't think i don't know what she could have brought to the table if they brought her character back but you know just something to think about mm-hmm. yeah that's a uh, six man a lot of action going on in these theaters i mean there's this scream six it honestly though like this does make me curious yeah, I'm actually to really watch screen six I don't know if I want to watch two through five, or I guess it sounds like maybe I just need to watch two and four and five. You would, yeah. Like my ranking is this: it's like six is my is my favorite one. One is my second favorite. Four is my third favorite. It's getting confusing. Five is my fourth favorite, and two then three. Um. Uh-huh. So like if like if you guys don't know, basically every movie is sort of a commentary on horror slasher. So the first one is a commentary just on, on the general 
horror slasher, right? The second one is about yeah. uh is commentary on slasher sequels. The third one is a commentary on uh what is it? On just like the ending of a trilogy. The fourth one introduces like, all right, the, these are the rules about a horror reboot. And the fifth one is all about requels. Um, and then I won't spoil what this one is supposed to be a commentary on, but it was definitely like a, oh yeah, that that would make sense for a movie now six movies in, you know? Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I'm even more intrigued. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was about to say that's actually got me. Yeah, like if, if anybody like loves community and horror movies, I would have a hard time. I would have, I would have, actually, I would have an easy time trying to convince them to get into the series because, yeah, this these movies are great if you're into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, well, glad it, glad it was movie that good. to look up. Well, you know what's also great? Video games you've been playing. And All right, time to, I guess. time to talk snap. All right, boys. <laughs> well, what kind of deck you're running lately? You know what? I have still been running the Discord deck. Um, Discord with a little bit of, um, I, I took the deck Ben Brode made and I just kind of started fiddling with that. Um, for those that forgot, Ben Brode is one of the lead, like, directors or designers of the game. He used to do Hearthstone. And the deck is just a disrupt deck. It's just like, let me mess with my opponents out of the field, throw rocks at them, pull their stuff, move their stuff prevent them from playing stuff. So it's kind of like control, but just more aggressive. But it's really more fun. annoying. You play That's Iceman and Scorpion? I play neither of those. Oh, really? Those those two cards, if I get hit by an Iceman and a Scorpion, I I instant retreat. Like, I just don't want to deal with the rest of that game. Yeah, basically because I, I don't like how they feel to be used against or to use them. So I mainly do the... Oh, Viper stuff or Polaris stuff. Sure. Okay, that's that's the, a little bit better. That's one. more honorable, I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Like I'll play uh, the Hood on one, and then Polaris, and then then Viper on two. Yeah, kind of deal. All right, Jason. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. kind of deck you? Ready? I uh, gotta be honest. I haven't played much Snap lately. Oh, surprise, surprise. I yeah. Uh... <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know everything. Wow. Wow. Everything. Well, yeah, because you haven't sorry. played Snap, but I hear you actually added. A game to your game they beat Completed list. list. See, Four yeah, this this I've been in terms of like actual games I'm playing. I've been on a big old game kick lately, um. So that's why I've been. Whoa, snapped, actual snapped. games. I guess Marvel Snap isn't an actual game. No, I didn't say actual. I was saying in terms of games I've actually been. Oh, I see. Yeah, and no, I meant games have been actual games have actually been playing, as in not Snap because I haven't actually been playing it. Not I mean, actively game. playing. Sure. But yeah, it's, it's been <laughs> old games. I <laughs> I think it's probably actually because Nintendo's been that, on that same old game kick, right? Because like they got their new stuff with Nintendo World Mario movie, as we talked about a lot. But if you look at their game output of late, a lot of it is like retro revivals. You know, GoldenEye on Switch Online back in January. That even has its own commercial. Have you guys seen that commercial? Basically, it's like two gamer dads put their kids to bed, then start playing each other online and they're transported back to their childhood bedrooms in like the 90s with their N64. It's really well done at. But um, yeah, besides that, obviously, there's the Game Boy stuff on Switch Online. There's Kirby's Return to Dreamland Deluxe that came out a couple weeks ago. There's Metro Prime Remastered, which I started to dabble in a little. There's Advance Wars Reboot Camp next month. It's a lot of old stuff. So because of that, I've just been in that sort of same lane with what I've been playing. Um, I know, Angel, you're going to talk about Metroid later in this episode, so I won't say anything about that. But the one I want to talk about today is uh 
my first ever experience playing Super Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins via Switch Online. Wait, wait repeat that? What did you say? Mario Land 2 Six Golden my, Coins? My, your first what? My first experience playing Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins. Oh, okay. For some reason, I heard an extra word there in the middle. I heard my first sober experience playing Mario Land 2. <laughs> Dude, the game feels like you're not sober. I'm going to be honest. Cause I, and that's partly why I want to talk about it. Like, there are really two reasons I want to talk about it. First off... I had no idea this game was like the quirky little brother of Super Mario World, um, which, as you guys know, is my all-time favorite game. Like, I knew it was technically speaking the next game to release in the main, like, Mario lineage. Uh, I think it was like two years after World. But I really didn't expect there to be so many parallels between World and Mario Land 2. Um, Like, structurally, Land does differ uh, in that you tackle six different zones, not worlds or lands, because Game Boy games are small, so it's only zones that contain two and four stages. But you tackle these zones in any order you want, and in doing so, you know, each one gives you a golden coin. And those six golden coins, once collected, you go to your final battle with Wario. So that's different from Mario World. But the world map, it's totally a scaled-down riff on Mario Worlds. It uses the same little ladder and tree graphics, the mountains, just the way it's laid out. It's very, very Mario World. And that same parallel um, in style applies to some items, too. Like, the Mushroom Sprite is literally the Mario World one. Uh, the Rabbit Ear Power-Up, uh, it's very similar to the Cape in its mechanics. And all that sort of stuff really, you know, all those parallels really made this whole experience feel sort of like an old-school take on a DLC release. Like, it's familiar. It's using existing assets and features you know. But it's also new and different and, like, kind of built on it in unexpected ways. So that was kind of a pleasant surprise as I was playing through it. But also kind of like DLC, it seems to have given the developers some real creative license. Like, in the same way that Breath of the Wild's DLC was like, sure, we're going to put a motorcycle in Zelda. Like, it has that weirdness to it, I guess you could say. Like, exceedingly weird by Mario standards. Like, maybe I wasn't sober playing it type of weird. I mean, like, just to run through some examples. There's a Halloween-themed pumpkin zone that features enemy called Mass Ghouls, which, yes, I looked up the name of. But what they actually are visually are basically Goombas wearing Friday the 13th Jason masks, complete with a knife stabbed into the side of their head. So to spell this out clearly, a Mario game is referencing a movie about murdering people. Or later in that same zone, here's another example, there's one random uh, appearance from a humanoid-looking Dracula. First of all, he only appears that one time. They made a sprite, they programmed its behavior for one instance. Not even just a boss, just like there as a normal enemy. But more importantly, I can't think of a single other time a human enemy character existed in a Mario game. We got humans in New Donk City like 30 years later, but they weren't bad guys, they were like what like npc props for the kingdom this was a bad guy that you could like jump on the head on who head of who was human in a mario game and it's it's really all sorts of facets of mario land 2 that have these oddities like there's a zone called mario zone and every level is set inside this giant mario toy so as you beat each one you move further up the toy and they have visual aesthetics of you like platforming across lego blocks and books and things there's a micro world where you're literally put up against different types of ants. There's a turtle zone where at one point, even though it's the turtle zone, you're suddenly inside the belly of a whale and there's just some divers who are stuck in there and now they're enemies to hit or avoid. Like, to be clear, like, to be fair, a lot of this does make sense in that you're playing with the idea that this is a smaller game on a smaller system. You know, literally, it's the first handheld platform of its time. 
So I get the metaphor of a tiny Mario exploring tiny things that are now big. But name a single other Mario game where the bad guys are straight up real world things. Like what Mario game has ants? Just ants as an enemy. Or how about bouncing screws? Not Super Mario 3D World. With cartoony eyes. Have ants. Yeah. ants. Like Giant ants. ants that you bounce on, yeah. Remember? They walk around the platforms. You bounce oh, on they them. they do. But does it have bouncing screws? Like not cartoony ones with eyes that go like bah to the music or whatever. Just screws. Like bolts. Just like uh, There bouncing. might have been screws in Galaxy in that one level where you get the spring Mario power up. But so is it not as weird as I thought? I mean, how about a level where you're going through some sort of science lab and there are literally dead specimens in jars in the background as you're playing? Uh, you're talk- now you're talking about Super Mario All-Stars. I'm just kidding. All right. Okay. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. But no, my, my, it just feels like as I was playing through it, maybe it's not quite as unique as I thought, but it just felt like so much of this game didn't fit like the Mario IP as we now know it. Like obviously some stuff carried on. You highlighted a few. I mean, I can name a few too. Like the the way Nintendo leveraged Mario's hats to demonstrate his power-ups, you know, we we on Game Boy they did it cuz they couldn't do a color palette swap on a black and white screen, so the hat did it. But you know, we saw that again in Mario 64. Uh, there's a space zone in Mario Land 2. That's a straight line to Mario Odyssey and the specific space suit that Mario has in it. But there's just so much weirdness that I feel wouldn't pass muster in any Nintendo-made Mario, like an official Mario game, since they've established the IP and its branding guidelines fully. Like, we've gotten, what, five new Super Mario Brothers games? Two on DS, the Wii one, the Wii U one, four? Five if you count the Switch port, let's go with that. Five if you count the Switch port. Whatever it is, we we got all those, and a common complaint is that in a lot of ways, they're cookie cutter, right? Like, they're fun. Some of the level design in the Wii and Wii U ones I thought was super cool in particular, but aesthetically outside maybe the Starry Night level in Mario U, they kind of fit the same mold. It's a very, this is Mario, safe type of presentation, and revisiting Mario Land 2, and thinking about, like, other games from that same early 90s Game Boy era, like Link's Awakening... It had unusual design decisions, you know, doing stuff like Chain Chomps and Shy Guys in the game. Like, I think what my time with Mario Land 2 really did was highlight what a different era it was for how Nintendo made games. Like, Nintendo wasn't afraid to get weird or different with how they presented their biggest IPs at the time. And honestly, I love weird Nintendo. I think it was around the time the announcements of the 3DS and Wii U eShop closures uh, closures first dropped. I remember around that time I was saying... um, I was sort of lamenting about how, like, weird Nintendo wouldn't be as accessible because they don't make those types of games in that same way here in the Switch era. But a lot of the weird Nintendo I'm even most familiar with isn't necessarily the stuff that in the early Game Boy game days either. That's why it was such a treat to not experience it with Mario Land 2 for the first time. Because to me, weird Nintendo were those quirky smaller games they put on DSiWare or the 3DS eShop or even to some extent uh, the Wii U eShop. And those tended to be, you know, more experimental games that maybe weren't, tied to big ips and played around with their theming more but those basically looking back now became the place where nintendo went to channel their weird ideas after realizing hey our major ips are brand gu- guidelines now and we have to stay true to a certain world and a certain image and we can't have mario in front of dead creatures and test tubes like or direct reference the idea of stabbing someone with a knife um so it's just interesting to, like play this slice of nintendo history and credit where it's due I think Nintendo still embraces weirdness in certain ways. You know, look at half of Splatoon and that world building or like a character like Helix in Arms, that green blob man. Or even stuff like what if, you know, Mario were to inhabit the uh, body of a T-Rex in Mario Odyssey or wear a cat suit in 3D Mario where he literally will blurt out meow meow as he powers up. Like that's still weird. 
But those are like, I'm not sure how best to describe it, but those are, those all fit the broader world building they're doing. And maybe in 30 years, someone will bust out Splatoon 1 or 2 and be like, man, Nintendo did that with that franchise back then? How crazy. But I feel, I feel like as graphic fidelity gets better and it's easier to shape content how you want it without technical limitations, that world building's getting established earlier on and quirky, weird, there's a Dracula in my Mario game moments aren't really happening anymore. Like another example, um, the other week, a friend and I were playing, uh, actually also on Switch Online, two-player Super Mario World, and we got to that one level with a smiling cloud that drops coins. And the coins have random smiley faces. They work exactly like normal coins. There's no explanation, no rhyme or reason. They're just a different sprite because they can be. And I feel like in the gaming landscape of now, like in the 2020s, there needs to be a reason for that or a backstory or have the coin surface repeatedly in different circumstances. Like the randomness for randomness sake that is in stuff like Mario Land 2 isn't really a thing in Nintendo tiles now outside maybe WarioWare and Rhythm Heaven. And I think also, you know, um, a lot of people talk about how the industry is so divided between major publishers pushing these heavy hitting AAA titles and indies covering the wacky, weird and more out there experiences. And if you look at how little Nintendo does now, with small quirky releases like they did even in the eShop days on the 3DS versus, you know, today establishing on his, uh, or working on established IPs or building IPs with some sort of bigger picture or established world or my, uh, ideas in mind. Like to an extent, Nintendo's becoming a little more guilty of that go big AAA or AA mindset that maybe we, you know, may, maybe more than we tend to acknowledge or think about, at least in terms of the brands they're building up. Even even the smaller ones, they're not as out there as some of those early 3DS downloads were. Everything has more of a plan attached to it, it feels like. So yeah, all those random thoughts spun out me seeing and playing through the entirety of Mario Land 2 on a random Sunday night. Um, it was just such an interesting time warp uh, into how, like, Nintendo approaches IP at the time, the kind of vibe or tone of Nintendo itself between then and now, and just sort of the foundation, I guess, the game laid, or in a lot of cases, literally did whatever the opposite of laying is uh, for future Mario games. So it was a fun trip. I was sober. Uh, but yeah, both, both a fun trip in terms of playing the game and just where my mind wandered in terms of like what Nintendo was and what Nintendo is and what Nintendo will be. And yeah. Did you guys ever play Mario Land 2? That's, I got deep. <laughs> I did play Mario I Land 2. I, I remember playing it on Game Boy. I want to say I beat it on Game Boy as well, but I have vague memories of that. Well, the the time I remember actually playing it was when it was first available on the 3DS, whenever they did their Game Boy Virtual Console. And yeah, it was quirky. Music was catchy as heck. Definitely loved it. It was. It is catchy. Did mm-hmm. it rock you to your core in the same way it rocked me? Not to my core. Um, I, I think I, I was well aware of its uh, very quirky nature beforehand. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Kevin, you ever play it? Yeah, it was the opposite of uh, um, going in blind. I feel like I have. Hmm. It clearly didn't make a big impression on you either, so I guess I'm the only one. Uh, I mean, what it's, the... been, it's been a minute <laughs> since I played that game. If I, I mean, did. it only came out 31 years ago. It's not that yeah, long, like... but... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, Angel, you... But I, I mentioned, like, well, you well, know, well, also well. Metroid Prime is another big one for Nintendo. You, you have that on your dock it here right like yeah definitely Metroid, yeah kind of not be it's i don't think i've ever maybe said it explicitly here in the podcast but it was i would definitely consider like one of my all-time favorite games i don't know where it would land on the top but it's in the top somewhere but man playing you know this 
GameCube Marvel as, I guess, an adult, because I don't remember what year it came out, but it was definitely one of those games I played right when it came out. And it was also my first first-person shooter, like, ever. And to go into it, like, you know, so right off the bat, I didn't know any better about, you know, twin-stick controls, if that was even a thing at that point. I'm guessing it was. Or mouse, it was. Yeah. or mouse and keyboard style shooter controls. Like, whatever was presented to me first, that was, like, my go-to. So learning how to maneuver with just one stick and locking on was, like, like oh, cool. This works. This is this is my normal. And, you know, over years, like, we had the, I guess, the HD remake or just the, H, the HD edition. And that was cool when I had touch controls. But this one, unfortunately... I don't want to say it has the best of both worlds. It none of the controls are perfect. If that makes any sense, like each one has like a weird detriment. Like for instance, like oh cool, now you could do you could play Metroid Prime like a twin stick shooter. Like yeah, that's great. You can move around with one stick, aim with the other one. The problem is that the game wasn't designed for that, and you change weapons often and that used to be done with the right stick the little c stick but if you're playing in twin stick mode you don't have to hold down x with one finger and then press a direction on the d-pad with the other finger so basically if you're in the middle of a fight you basically have to stop shooting and moving to like switch beams which isn't that great and but that that's the and to be fair, actually not to be fair, and that's actually the control scheme I ended up just dealing with. Like, I've gotten used to it, but that's just the one I enjoyed the best of all the ones that we had. You have the option to play with motion controls, but unfortunately those motion controls, you know, it's it's no, it's no not an AR. It's, yeah, it's not an AR point anymore, so it's not like one-to-one, like instant response. It's an accelerometer. It works really well, but because it's a shooter, like, you notice that it's not, like, 100% one-to-one. There's, like, just enough of a slight delay to, for it to make me feel like, oh, I don't like this. And on top of that, um, yeah, I guess having to point at the right or leftmost edge of the screen to turn just isn't that great. I mean, I know that's how the original one was and the, and the Wiimote one was, and those were fine, but for some reason... With the added delay, it just doesn't feel great, and it just feels even slower. I almost wish you could like adjust the sensitivity, but from what I can tell, you can't do that. And then the control scheme that I thought was going to be my saving grace. Well, actually, there were two other ones. You have just basic, straight up GameCube control mo- GameCube control mode, which unfortunately didn't click with me as much as I hope it would. I thought like, oh, I could just play how I did in- back in the day, but nope, it. It felt awkward, and I didn't really like it. Maybe if it was on an actual GameCube controller, but I only had a Pro Controller disposable. I don't know if the Smash adapter would work. I don't think it would. It does. With Metroid Prime? The GameCube controller and Metroid Prime. You have to go into mapping your controller settings in the system level. Oh, that's right. But it'll work. That is too much work for, for, for me. And the you just asked would it work, not how much work. So I yeah. told you it will work. That's true. Not how much. Good work. point. <laughs> and the final control scheme that I thought was going to be my saving grace was 
the hybrid one. I thought like, oh, it's going to be like Splatoon. Twin stick shooting, but you kind of like refine your aim with like the gyro, which is always awesome. And, you know, the changing beam thing, you just deal with it. But unfortunately, um, and I guess it's, I guess it is true hybrid, but it's basically the GameCube controls, but with gyro motion. So your right stick is to change beams, and you aim solely by moving your controller around, which does not feel great as your sole way to look yeah. around the environment and aim. As a way to fine-tune your aim, it's perfect, but to be how you turn around completely, just like grabbing the whole controller and like shifting your body to the right or left, just does not feel great. So, you know, twin-stick shooting is how I went, and it works. And even more than halfway through the game... And I guess this is kind of annoying. Like, I still find myself swapping between pressing, I think it's like B to jump or the right or the left, but the left bumper to jump. Cause the bumpers can also do most of the work. You could jump, you could shoot, you could fire missiles with it, but you can also use the face buttons as well. So it's interesting, but it's weird to get used to. I can also keep using pressing the wrong button for morph ball over and over again. It's like my body wants me to use X, but it's actually Y. I don't know. Maybe that's what was on something else. But nitpicks aside, um, obviously it's still a really great game. Oh my god, the music still holds up. The the ambiance is just I don't know. It's superb. Not to mention just like you know the upres model, the new model for Samus's suit, and Samus herself, and the enemies just look really, really great. Like the graphics damn. are so good. I'm nowhere near as far as you in it. Like I haven't had any control issues with the twin stick because i'm not at the point where i need to worry about that but dude the game looks great it, it looks it's one of the better looking switch games and it's just yeah. a remaster it, it's crazy how good it looks yeah and i mean it's just a lot because like the gamecube one still looks pretty good i mean if anything it just looks yeah yeah like it just needs a a little up but honestly like it basically looks how you remember the gamecube one looking it's like that nice kind of nostalgia where it's like, oh, it didn't always look like that. Kind of like how the insane trilogy for Crash Bandicoot, like in some ways it's like what you would imagine the polygons would look like if they were fully realized. Like, yeah, it just looks good. But actually, yeah, there is no but. Damn, it's just the green. Actually, yeah, there is a but. <laughs> um, but one thing that I did notice just from like my first time playing it when I was in middle school, I think, versus now like 20 years later or however long ago was 15 years whenever no, it, it's closer came to, it came out in 2002 so 21 years oh my god well 21 years yeah. later um yeah all the encounters all the combat that i thought was like you know intense and in some cases difficult like just it's just not a thing at all anymore um Every space pirate, everything, like, can just be dispatched pretty easily. But, you know, I have the, I don't know if you want to call it luxury or unfortunate luck of having played this game many, 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 many times. I remember playing it, replaying it many times during college. And, yeah, like, I still remember pretty well where, like, a vast majority of the enemies, I mean, where the secret items were, where how to dispatch of any, every enemy quickly, so... Yeah, like, the challenge, at least in the combat side, was completely gone. But the best thing about this game is that it's not about the combat. It's about the exploration and just immersing yourself in the music and the environments and the lore. 
which is why like I feel like it's still like yeah the fact that it's basically a literal cakewalk because you're just walking around everywhere now like the I, sometimes I don't even bother with the encounter that just walk past them because they don't have enough firepower to kill me <laughs> um but yeah like it's still super fun like I don't know you just get sucked into it they just did a good job i mean some bosses didn't age very well but you can also see where they made improvements on the sequels that i hope we get remakes for eventually but so far i'm loving it i'm glad they brought it back i'm glad i don't have to bust out my gamecube to just get the same kind of feeling that i would get controllers aside like it wasn't enough to really change my perspective on or my positive outlook on this game um yeah great game Great time. And also thirty only thirty nine ninety nine, which is like great. Like I probably would have still paid the full easily. Yeah. yeah. I, I would have paid the fifty nine or whatever they're charging for games nowadays. But for thirty nine it was like, oh wow, like yeah, give it here now. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. But that's all I really had on the gaming front. I barely even had time to I mean I should have finished that game by now. It's not very long. But yeah, I barely even started as much as I wanted to power through it. So yeah, I'm right there with you. But um, I I do hope that that's the next game I beat after having beaten Mario Land two because I know you can do it in about eight to ten hours. So yeah, granted you can Mario Land two in one sitting if you're good enough, which I somehow that's true. Was, but yeah, yeah, I know. I know speedrunners can beat Metroid Prime in like about an hour, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that I can't do. That I am not. I am not one of those speedrunners now. Yeah. Um, but I guess with that, uh, I mean, unless there was anything else that anyone wanted to bring up. I right got now? something. Oh, all right. I got something. All right. Throw for down. all the praise, this will be the last thing. For all the praise that we've been giving Nintendo this episode, I think we need to call a spade a spade. Can we talk about Pokemon Sleep for a minute? Like, I'm fine with Nintendo letting me, st- or not even fine. I'm cool with, I like Nintendo letting me step into their world with a theme park or have, I'm okay with having to book a, you know, Midnight tickets and not get sleep, which is something I never do for a movie, for the Mario movie. Or, you know, if they want me to rebuy or subscribe to services that give me games I already own, sure. Even stuff like Pikmin Blue and Pokemon Go, they're welcome to track my movement because I get little Pikmin and whatever. So, great. I don't – well, I don't know what the uh, it, idea of Pokemon Sleep is or why I would do it. <laughs> like, So, in case you guys missed it, on Pokemon Day a couple weeks back – we got a new Pokemon Presents. It included the reveal of two waves of DLC for Pokemon Scar and Violet. Um, zero gameplay footage, by the way, which is an interesting way to announce new DLC. Uh, one that it's a way I'm sure lines up with Kevin. Your thoughts on how the game's technical performance and the Switch Switch hardware age. I'm sure them not showing footage had something to do with all that. Um, but we also got Pokemon Sleep to be revealed as a smartphone app coming this summer with a new Pokemon Go Plus accessory that now can be pressed to mark when you start and end your sleep, as well as sing you lullabies as Pikachu. Which is a bit weird, but sure. Uh, Weirder is probably that this new accessory is called the Pokemon Go Plus Plus, which is some Wii U-style crazy naming right there, if I've ever heard it. But anyway, the app, which you can use with or without your Plus Plus, uh, is described as one that, and I quote, makes you look forward to waking up in the morning. Um... Okay, and it does this by monitoring your sleep in three phases, dozing, snoozing, and slumbering, and then it matches your sleep pattern with a different Pokemon. So maybe you had goofy sleep that night, like a slowpoke, or droopy-eared sleep, like a Pikachu, and yes, I I looked up all these things, or one-eyed sleep, like a Totodile. Uh, First of all, 
Two of those three things literally don't work with humans. Your ears don't droop when you sleep and humans need both their eyes closed. But as you experience these different sleeps, uh, you unlock new Pokemon who wake up in the app with you around the in-game mascot who is Snorlax. Um, so essentially, if I put in like a marketing part, the more Zs you catch, the more Pokemon you catch. Which in theory, I guess, it helps people who may otherwise need a sleep tracker to help them better manage their sleep. This fits that bill. But the part I'm hung up on, well, actually, there's two parts I'm really hung up on. First, I'm very curious how many people who use sleep trackers are going to jump to a Pokemon one. Because, like, yes, Pokemon's a big brand, but if all your data and habits are in one app, will being able to wake up with a random Rattata one morning, is that going to skew everything you have? Like, are you willing to give that all up? Because they confirmed no data import or export options. This is like a fresh start. So you're going to give up all your sleep data to have a Rattata wake up next to you? I, I don't know. And second, if you're playing this solely for the gamification or Pokemon side of things, I feel like, for me anyway... This is actually going to hurt my sleep more than anything else because I'm going to want to hit the different sleep styles and get the different Pokemon, which, by the way, I don't even know how they determine these sleep styles, but whatever. And um, if I'm trying to get those Pokemon, that's going to be the like, no, that's not how you do it. Yeah, that's why I don't know. And not only that, but, like, is it going to make me overthink my sleep? Like, am I going to, like, not sleep as well because I'm trying to figure out what is goofy sleep to get Slowpoke or what is droopy-eared sleep to get, like, Pikachu? Like, I, I don't know. Um like, I will say this is an interesting part of a push by the Pokemon company to seemingly make their own first-party products that cater specifically to adult Pokemon fans. Like, obviously, we've had licensed stuff for years, but they announced this, and they announced a really classy, more, like, adult-looking version of the Pokemon train card game in the same Pokemon Presents, and that felt like a really big push for older Pokemon fans. Pretty prominently because the videos for both of these items only showed adults <laughs> like all the promo material is only adults but i don't know like i'm not exactly sold on what pokemon sleep is supposed to be or why you would pay 55 dollars for a pokemon go plus plus to do it like it i guess if they had a sleep style badoof like a sleep style like badoof and that was a thing that i'm of course got to download and spend however many nights of lack of sleep to it takes to become a badoof like yeah okay but i don't that's not really a hook and it's not one gets my fifty five dollars. Like I don't know what this is for. Who this is for? What? Where is this data going? Like I don't understand. I don't understand. And it's weird because most Nintendo things I understand. So all this praise for Nintendo for the last like end scream for the last you know ninety plus minutes, and now I'm like, what? What is this? Like this makes no sense. So I what, do. You, did you guys even see the news? Do you even care? Or are you just like? I, I don't completely even know. I, missed yeah. it. Like completely, it's just completely. so strange. Yeah, I think I think. And my... this is a big announcement for Pokemon Day, so it's not like it's a little low key. Know what's like going this on. and DLC were the two big announcements. Yeah, like I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I guess it's more reason why. I guess more proof that I've completely fallen off the Pokemon wagon. I yeah. I, I heard about the designs, like, and I just heard about the designs, like, oh, check out these new Pokemon. Like, I didn't even know it was oh for associated the, uh, with. DLC, you mean? I didn't even know it was associated with the DLC that was associated with the Direct. It was just like, oh, I guess these are new Pokemon that I either missed out on or they're coming out. Which, I do like the designs, to be fair. I love that bird. I think it's called, like, Serendipity or something along those lines. That's just a word, so it's probably not that. <laughs> Fez- <laughs> That's a legit I, I, I think, word. I think it's Serendipity or... They, they use Serendipity oh, as okay. a pun. Yeah. Like, all the other new right. ones use words of that type. 
in their pun. But yeah, it's weird. But yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I just like... Once in a blue moon, Nintendo does stuff and I'm like, what? But I kind of get it. We fit. They're gonna make fitness stuff. Okay, I get it. There's a market for that, um, and you can gamify it. The vitality sensor when they announced it, it never came out. I understood kind of where they were going with that. I don't know what like it, who is this for? <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> like of all these things, I'm like, oh, Nintendo's nailing it. I'm in like Nintendo heaven. Like this, da, da, da. it's just like then there's this. And it's a good reminder that for everything, everything Nintendo does right, there's always a weird thing they do. Not necessarily a wrong thing. And not a weird thing in the Mario two Mario Land two way, but there's always a weird, you know, there's always a uh, the pedometer tracker that came with walking training for the DS. There's always something like that brewing. So even that makes more sense. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in because you know Pokemon Sleep. Oh, here we go. Was, Monkey Dory. That's great. That's actually pretty good. O- That's pretty solid. Okie doggy, because it's a dog. Mm-hmm. And the other one, oh yeah, Pheasantry and Ogrepan? Ogrepan? I don't know what that one's doing. I don't know what that's referencing. I will say though, you just saved my complaint. And I, I'm being unfair because I was saying Nintendo doesn't, is this Nintendo? This is Pokemon Company who also made those names. So you know what? Pokemon Sleep doesn't make sense. Monkey Dory makes perfect sense as a pun. So it balances out. Your stored balance to the universe at the end here. Well, since you're already on a roll, you might as well do the usual housekeeping. Oh, sure. Okay, we're going right into that. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, Our next episode will hopefully be in the usual two-week time span, but if not, there's an easy way to make sure you don't miss it regardless. Um, You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Pandora, and our YouTube is at RamNintendo, which coincidentally is also our Twitter. Uh, you can also find us individually on Twitter. I am JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. I'm done with housekeeping now. Well, I guess let's give Jason... Oh, no, actually, no. You've said enough. Let's give Kevin the final word. Uh, make good choices. 